Welcome back to The Chosen Journey. Chapter one, saying goodbye to coaching. Steve Carsey, my friend, welcome back. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me. So I noticed early on when we were setting up to tape uh, the hats back. So tell us about the hat you're branding there. Yeah, it's an old school Milwaukee hat. Uh, it was just one that was uh, laying around, one that I enjoy wearing. Um, and it's, it's a hat that we, we got during the season, uh, one of the past seasons. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, you know, you play whether they're old-timer games or, uh, you know, Mother's Day games, Father's Day games. They give you different hats. They give you different socks. They give you sometimes different uniforms. So, uh, you know, it was, it was one of the hats that uh, uh, I really liked, to be honest with you. It's uh, just a big M uh, for Milwaukee. And uh, I just decided to wear it today. Well, there's a lucky fan out there who went on to MLB.com. They got auctions for the teams and the teams auction off a lot of the game used stuff. So somewhere out there, your full outfit, so your pants, your shirt, not the jock, but the uh, the hat was in there as well, <laughs> not, not the cleats. So they got the pants, they got the jersey, and they got the hat. Someone out there is branding that full outfit. I don't know if they're wearing it and, uh, you know, going to play stickball and uh, pretending they're Steve Carsey. But somebody out there is the lucky owner of your stuff. Well, good for them. I mean, I think Major League Baseball uh, auctions off a, a lot of things, and, and that's how they uh, get to uh, produce some revenue. So, uh, you know, I'm glad somebody has it. I hope they enjoy it. And, uh, you know, it, it was uh, it was fun wearing it for the, for the time I was in the big leagues. Look, the teams have to look for every quarter under the couch, you know, every uh, dollar bill uh, under the car seat. Uh, you got to scrape that money somehow, you know. Those billions don't burn themselves, <laughs> you know. Yeah, some some teams and some owners have more billions under the uh, cushions than others, but uh, they absolutely uh, got to earn money. And, uh, you know, and people remember, people forget that, you know, baseball is fun and it's a great game to watch, but it is also a business. And, you know, you get to learn that pretty quick when you uh, uh, are in the institution. If I'm not mistaken, Nolan Ryan was the first $1 million player. I believe Kareem Packett was the first $3 million player. Those were big dollars. Those were big dollars back then. You know, and with inflation, when you do the math, it's still a lot of money, certainly. Have you ever played that game where you say, if I was doing my stats in today's game, what my contract would look like? Or do you just leave that alone? I leave it alone. But I mean, anybody knows, uh, you know, if you have the same numbers uh, 20 years ago as you had today, your earning power would have been, you know, much higher. And that's just the, the way baseball is and, and how it transpires and, and, you know, people have to adapt to to the revenues that are that are coming in. I'm sure no matter what the dollar figure was, when somebody's well paid back in the 70s to 80s to today, if they invested it right, if they did smart things, they had the right advisors, you're always going to live a comfortable life, live a chosen life, so to speak. And uh, certainly, you know, it also depends how long you've played in there. Um, a topic that I want to touch at some point uh, in our conversations over the coming weeks and months but uh, based on the number of years you played, did you get the golden ticket? Did you get that? I got special the golden pass? ticket. Yes, I got the special pass at eight years. You get a yes. golden ticket that uh, you're able to go and show at any baseball stadium and get a couple pair of tickets. And then, you know, ultimately, um, you know, it, it's a special number. Guys get to 
10 years uh, and, and you get to get vested into a full pension. So, you know, that's what guys strive for. Um, you know, not everybody gets there and, and the fortunate ones that, uh, that get there, uh, you know, set themselves up for, for, you know, a little bit later in life when, when you get a little bit older. Thomas, us in the future episode, can we see the ticket? On a future episode, I will flash you the golden ticket. Perfect. Because I can tell you, man, like I was a big Willy Wonka fan and I love the books. I watched, I actually watched the movies later in life, you know, and I used to have the Oompa Loompa song as my ringtone. And when I found on Major League Baseball has the version of the golden ticket, I said, I, this can't be real. And apparently it is. So you are verifying. It is real. There. And it, it looks like a credit card, to be honest with you. Ah, okay. It doesn't hold any money, but it, it looks like a credit card and it's, uh, it's made of steel. So, I mean, we'll, we'll flash it on here and, and we'll give uh, everybody an opportunity to see what it looks like. Very nice. Now, last question before we jump into the coaching decision or the life decision. Uh, we talked about your man cave before on, uh, in the uh, Chosen Life episode. Um, for your own memorabilia, were you a collector? Did you keep your stuff? Uh, how did you look at it from uh, over your course of your career? Uh, so when you're young, obviously you're just, happy to be there and you're you're kind of timid uh you kind of you know don't want to ask everybody for autographs and other teams players for autographs like there's certain guys that maybe stand out i mean i remember uh my rookie year the one guy that i did have the clubhouse guy go over and ask for an autograph was cal ripkin jr i still have it uh downstairs in in my full office um uh, you know, the ball that he gave me and, and, and what he wrote on it. Um, so that, that's a special ball to me. Um, but over the years, uh, I just got to the point where I collected a majority of my stuff um, of guys that I either played with or played against and had competition against. Uh, enjoyed watching guys play, uh, not always the superstars, but guys that I felt like played the game right, played the game hard, uh, had an understanding of the game and I respect it. And when, you know, I, I felt like those were the, the compliments uh, to give another player, I wanted their autograph because it, it meant something. You ever do jersey swaps with players? Did you ever ask them for pieces of equipment, like a glove, uh, a hat, anything like that at all? No, never. The only thing I would get is uh, a ball, never a jersey swap, but there would be uh, times that I would uh, ask a, a clubhouse guy if, if I got a jersey, uh, if he could send it over and somebody could uh, sign that jersey, but uh, never a, a physical jersey swap. I, you know, that's, that's done, you know, uh, on the football field and sometimes uh, on the basketball court, but uh, I've never seen guys actual jersey swap on the baseball field when the game's over. It's coming though, because like I see, I see LeBron doing it all the time. They're like, I got to do that too, you know? Right, that right. That being said, uh, is the Calrip Good Ball your prized possession, memorabilia wise? Uh, it's, it's, it, it's in my top three. I think, uh, you know, uh, my first major league win is kind of up there as well. Um, and then, you know, I have a, a, a couple things um, that, I'd have to kind of look through, uh, you know, whether it be a, a Hank Aaron baseball, uh, Whitey Ford baseball, a Yogi Berra baseball. I have a few of those that uh, was was real fortunate to get uh, during 
my Yankee days when we had old timers day and you would have all of these greats come in the clubhouse and you're like a kid in the candy store and you're like, oh my God, is that Whitey Four? Oh my God, is, is that Yogi Berra? And you get the opportunity to ask them questions and sit and see what the game was like when they played and how they did things. And, and that's how you learn. And that's just a, another, another life lesson uh, you know, given to you uh, on your journey as you're going through the baseball world and as you're going through your career. Now, for yourself, did you keep at least one jersey from each team that you played on, coached on? Did you keep yourself a good inventory of your stuff, or did you never really? Uh... No, I kept uh, the majority of my stuff, uh, and it's in one of my closets at the house. Oh, <laughs> so, so, oh so you did? It's there hanging up. <laughs> so, so, so your gloves, your your jerseys, uh, they're out. You did keep a lot of them, eh? The jerseys the for sure, my gloves for sure. I mean, hats come and go. So, yeah. uh, you know, a couple of jackets that uh, that were given to me over the course, a couple old timers jerseys that we uh, were able to wear uh, along the way when we played uh, played some games, and they had an old timers day uh, against another team. They they would filter us with another jersey, and I would keep that. Uh, you know, the teams were. We're, we're nice enough to, to let us uh, hold on to those. Funny, you know, if life ends up the way it does sometimes, you know, I was getting out of autograph. I, I used to be a big autograph hound. I'm going to talk about that in, in one of the Trolls Life episodes with, uh, with my fellow all autograph collectors. And we learned how to meet players at the hotels and, you know, the, uh, the, the at the uh, stadiums. You know, people don't realize there's an, under, you know, you're level 100, 200, 300. There's a triple zero. You know how to get down there. You just camp out there and pretend like you're not bothering anybody. You get autographs. So when you got traded for Ricky, I was just still, I was in autographs, but I was slowly getting out of there. And it's, uh, it's very funny. If fate had had it otherwise, I knew where the Jays were leaving with their cars. I knew where they're going to the clubhouse until security, like, you know, now in this day and age, it's mind boggling, you know, from a safety security would never happen. But back then it was a lot more lax. It was a lot, it was simpler times back then. So I probably would have had like 10 Steve Garcia signed baseballs at some point. So it's funny how life works out. But I, I know I got out of it because I said, once the players were younger than me, I said, I'm not asking somebody younger than me for an autograph. And I was done. That was it. Literally, I retired. I yeah, I mean, that's definitely the way that, that, it, that it should be. I mean, kids always want autographs, right? Um, and, and for the players to give them and, and it is great. But when you get, when you get older, I, I can just let you know that uh, as a player, when I was playing myself, whereas players are today, they always see the same guys and they always talk about, you know, how these guys are trying to profit off of, you know, getting them to sign. I've seen autograph collectors just have plain numbers. Yes. So they get the plain number, sign the plain number, and then get the other number and put it on a jersey. And then they have a signed jersey from that player. I can tell you right now, if you go on to ebay.com and you type in Steve Carsey game used, you will find a number three autographed by Steve Carsey that you can purchase and you can sew onto a jersey. And it is where it is there. So that's pretty awesome. Somebody got somebody got you to autograph a number. Do you recall a number three, perhaps? Or do you do those all yeah, the time? Yeah, I don't remember wearing number three, but uh, maybe they added the one because there was a, I did wear a 31. There you uh, go. With the Yankees. So, I mean, I believe it was the Yan I believe it was Yankees number. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. 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 So people are very, very funny that way. When you got into coaching now, 
um, and you were coming up in the Cleveland system in Milwaukee, did you find people were still asking for autographs or was it less than the playing days? Oh, way less than the playing days. You know, the, the, uh, you know, the, the hardcore autograph seekers, you know, just have collected cards over the years or collected things and, and, you know, would get asked on occasion. And of course, you know, it's, it's hard to turn somebody down. Uh, you know, if there's one or two people there to, to sign an autograph that, that they want. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it still goes on. They don't make nearly as many cards as they used to. Um, you know, 20 years ago, I think there was like, I don't even know how many card companies there were, but they would always take pictures and put it out different, uh, whether it be Fleer or Tops or any of those others. You played in the peak of the wax junk era. From the rookie cards on, you played at the peak of production. So there's got to be a million Steve Carsey cards out there of the various companies because you played in the era when they produced cards like there was no tomorrow. Uh, that, yeah, you're right. This is incredible. I mean, I don't know the exact number, but there has to be anywhere from two to 300 different cards of mine yes. that I've tried to collect for my son yes. uh, because... Yes. It's you, you, I still get uh, fan mail in my mailbox with people who send cards to my house and assign them and put them in the mailbox and send them back. It's hard to believe that people still send mail these days. Yes. But, uh, you know, on occasion, there will be one to pop up. I, when I made my list, and it's funny because I will have an episode about autographs in general. One of the best ways, I remember when I was like a young kid, I didn't even know to go and ask people. And when I was 10 years old, I'd be deathly afraid of them. So, but when you live in Canada, you have to go and get stamps from the U.S. Because what you got to do is you got to send a self-addressed stepped envelope because yep. you can't ask the player to go and do an envelope for you. And then you got to find addresses. And back then, when without the internet, you know, it was, you have to be real creative to find addresses. You know, now everybody's home address is out there. Like, it's scary the amount of information you get off the internet. But it's good to know people are still finding ways to do that strangest autograph request you ever had or the strangest thing you've ever had to sign? Uh, um, I, I guess the strangest thing I've ever signed was a kid's teddy bear. Okay. Uh, a stuffed animal that, uh, that they had that they didn't have anything else. So he asked to sign it. So I signed it. You know, it, the, the, when I when I've asked people before, usually you get the groupie answers and it's strange body parts they have to sign. But uh, a, a teddy bear is tame, but it's still an interesting one for sure. It was uh, just a regular teddy bear or like a Yankees bear or something. Uh, it was like one of the sports bears that they've they've had out, um, yeah. you know, but I mean, I guess it's not super strange. You know, it's different. not a body part, It's but it's different. I mean, I have never really signed that before. And it just kind of stood out in my mind. I remember a kid was going around getting his cast sign, you know, so it's funny what people will go with. So, you know, it's funny. That's where, again, the chosen journey, you never know. We have one topic in mind, but we're just going to go in all sorts of directions because it's a whole blender of life and everything else. You never know where we're going to stick next. So getting back to where we thought today, and uh, this is the one that's really been sticking in my mind because it hit me by surprise, Steve, is again, we're talking now, it's got to be early January, right? The start of the year. I'm calling you, saying hello, seeing how things are. I go on the Brewers website. You are listed as a coach. So I figure all's good, you know, and I'm thinking in my head, okay, is he going to be coming back as a bullpen coach? Is anything else going to be happening? You know, are the teams talking to him? And then you drop me. By the way, it's not been announced yet, but I will be leaving uh, effective immediately. So, buddy, when when did this decision get made? So, obviously, it wasn't made when 
the the season was over and 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 we we lost to Atlanta uh, that that past, this past year. Um, came home, started to spend some time with the family. I was taking my son to school every day. Uh, I was taking on the baseball, watching his games, doing that, and then um, you know there was just some conversations had along the way in. October and November, uh, my son. Twenty twenty one, so October, November, twenty twenty one. That's yeah. right. My yeah, son yeah. turned my son turned eleven okay. uh, at the end of November, twenty twenty one, and as we were going on, we were having conversations, and uh, you know, I could start understanding and feeling how it how much I was missed at home, um, you know, the little things that maybe he wasn't doing that I could have taught him along the way. Um, you know, it's hard for mom to, to play mom and dad when I'm away for, for six months. Uh, you know, I saw my family probably a total of 30 days face-to-face -face out of six months uh, in 2021. And when you sit, when you sit in Milwaukee as, great as that is, as great as the job is, um, you know, your family is the number one priority. You sit there and you, you're by yourself and you get to think, you know, what am I missing? I had to, I had to watch my sons on an app that's called Game Changer. So you watch the game, you watch the, you watch what's going on in his game that he's playing in Arizona on a, on a iPhone and to see what the count is or if he's getting a hit or if he's stealing the bases instead of being there. Um, you know, he didn't, he didn't really realize, I think from a young age, cause he just got used to it. You know, daddy's going to work, daddy's going, uh, you know, to work at the baseball field. And then as you know, we got older as the pandemic uh, took its toll, especially in 20 and 2020 and 2021 with all the rules, regulations, restrictions that families could come, especially being in a small bubble uh, in the baseball world. Cause uh, again, baseball is a business. They made rules and regulations where they didn't want players to get COVID because it was di disrupt the season. Um, uh, and, and that's just not with my family. That was with the players' families. That was with the front office's families. It took a toll on everybody. Uh, so um, you know, knowing that and then hearing how, you know, I felt like my son was dropping little hints without telling me that he was missing me all that much. Um, we just came to a conclusion as a family and I came to the conclusion that the sacrifices that they made were so great for me over the course of my, you know, playing uh, and, and coaching career mostly coaching career for, for the 10 years, that it was time for me to step away, step down, uh, be a dad, uh, you know, be a husband, be, be present more often and uh, watch, watch my son grow up during the years between 11 and 16. Not that baseball is done for me, in my life, uh, but right now I just felt like I needed a breather uh, to be more of a dad and, and, and to be home more 
And that's where the decision came, some, came from. It was, it was a very difficult decision to make, but an easy one, if that makes sense. Uh, because it's, it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, I grew up without a dad. So I didn't want that same thing to happen for my son. And that really was one of the main reasons that played a part in making that choice. And um, I will say, I talked with one of the coaches uh, without naming names. And he, he told me something that will stick with me for the rest of my life. He's like, I just want to tell you that there are a lot of people who say they're going to do what you're going to do, but you're one of the only ones that I've known that said that you were going to do this for this reason, and you did it for that reason. So I respect the, the hell out of that, that you made this decision to spend more time with your family. Hearing this, it, and I'm sure for the listeners and the viewers out there, when you talk, Steve, and again, it's starting from our, our, our initial interview, you can't help but reflect within yourself what's your own journey and look, listening to Steve's journey. I know I'm reflecting my own journey. I'm sure you all are as well. You know, one of the things I bonded with Steve was the fact I also grew up with other fathers. So I know what that's like very much. And uh, uh, when I became a father and I, and I stepped away, away from MLB reports, my son was six years old and I said, you know, that was, that was part of it. I, I never really put that out there, but you're, you're being raw and real here. I'm being raw and real. Then I'll let you know. Being a dad was very important to me. And there's a lot of sacrifices that go in. And you know, people, you hear the word sacrifice, you think you're giving up stuff, and it's like a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. It's about prioritizing, you know. And when you get to spend that time with, as a father, it's time you'll never see again, you know. And it's like I've always said, you know, I, I got into baseball because of a hardship in my life when I lost my dad, actually. And I threw myself into baseball collecting and watching. And baseball's always been there. And one of the things I told you when you told me that decision was the great thing about baseball, man. It's there when you're ready for it. You know, it keeps goes on season after season after season. You got to do what you got to do. And when you're ready, they'll keep playing ball and they'll be ready for you. You know, so that's one of the awesome things. It's, a, it's an escape and it's a release. You know, baseball is so great that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I told the players, because uh, I contacted them and let them know that my decision is for this reason and for this reason only, um, that they they completely understood you know they were like you know wow they were like you know you didn't have to call us but i wanted to give them the respect and let them know that i wasn't stepping away from the game for anything else that happened except for you know spending more time with my son because and my family because when they see him you know my son knows them they know him they get to be friends with them and they joke around. Uh, so they know the relationship that was there. Uh, and you're right. Baseball will always be there. You know, it, it's not like the door's closing. You're just shutting it for a little while. And then, you know, I'm sure that there'll be a few other doors that will, will open up along the way. Oh, as a fan of the game and a baseball enthusiast, you know, all, what I see when I go to the stadium, I see, for example, like you'll be in the bullpen, you'll have your boys, you know, and, uh, they depend on you and you instruct them and you build this kinship, right? This bullpen kinship there. 
and become very close. So we're saying like, that's the greatest thing ever. He gets to hang out with Josh Hader and all the guys and like, how cool is this? And like, this is the greatest thing in the world. And people then don't think about the fact here he is in Milwaukee and his family's back in Arizona. And that's not just you. That's everybody potentially in that stadium, everybody involved with that team or the visiting team, you know, everybody has a separate identity outside of the game and how much are they sacrificing for, for that game, you know, and some are lifers and some may never have families and kids. Some do. And it's, every decision you make of what role you're going to take on, there's something else you have to sacrifice for it. And it's, uh, you know, you, you sacrifice family time to put that time in the majors. You came back to the majors as a coach and now you're sacrificing baseball because now it's time to be with the family. So it's the reverse. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it can be a difficult industry for, for a lot of people. Uh, it takes its toll. Baseball is 162 games during the season. Right. So that takes you from the beginning of April. We'll call it April 1st, all the way through the end of September. That's six months. If you're in the playoffs and you're fortunate enough to get to the playoffs, like we did the last three years, that's another month of uh, time away or time with your family, but not with your family. So that's seven months. And then some guys whose kids are in school who have to go away, who live in a different state, uh, they got spring training for six weeks. So you're looking at eight and a half months away from home. Uh, if you live in a different state, then you play. Um, and it's three and a half months at, at home. And if you calculate that over uh, a 10 year period, you're gone from your main house um, close to 65 to 70% of the time, as opposed to, to living where you live. So like I said, it can be a difficult industry, um, you know, it's very rewarding uh, with what you're doing, but there are other factors that uh, you have to take into consideration. I think as fans, everybody assumes that your family is just in the city where you're going to be playing out of. So for example, you're in Milwaukee. They just assume that the family lives with you in Milwaukee, that the kids would be in Milwaukee in the school system. And then when you're on the road, of course, the family will just come with you on the road for every road trip, you know, and it's the farthest thing from the truth, eh? Uh, farthest thing from the truth. I mean, when you go on the road, uh, you're busy. Well, you got to be at the field. Listen, um, as a coach, you're there more than a player. Players are at the field probably from 2.30 in the afternoon until the game is over until 11 o'clock. A coach is probably at the field from 11 o'clock or 12, 11 o'clock in the morning or 12 o'clock to 11 o'clock. So you're there for anywhere from 10 to 12 hours a day. And then you, you sleep the rest of the day. So <laughs> it's, uh, there's no time. When your family comes, you maybe spend a couple hours with them in the city that you're in, especially if like it's New York or you know LA or, or one of the Chicago, one of the bigger cities, they get to enjoy the city uh, and you're at the baseball field, but uh, you get to spend a little bit of time with them, which makes it uh, worthwhile. Um, but again, a, you know, if, if, if people at home think that you're only at the game, uh, you're only at the field from when the game is, which is like six o'clock at night till 11, that's mistaken. You're there prepping, you do preparing, you're on your computer, you're taking batting practice, um, you know, you're throwing bullpens. There are a lot of other things. You're doing scouting reports. 
there's so many other things that are involved at being at the field for, for such a long time that, uh, you know, it's uh, very time consuming and, 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 and very hard work. So as a coach, you're, you're working that many more hours. They're not getting paid the same as the players. No, not even close. Not even close. And, and you know, the most challenging position I, I've always been told is scouts because they literally live on the road. They could be on the road almost all year and they're going from tournament to tournament to school to school and paid very, very little, no family time whatsoever, pretty much. And hoping to find that one diamond in the rough and, and that's their lives and their sacrifice. And, you know, and, and you're saying the game can be very hard. You could be 30 years on the road as a scout. And then one day you're just gone. Just like that. It's uh, it could be a very unforgiving yeah. game that way. No doubt. And, 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 and scouting is starting to become obsolete uh, these days. Um, uh, the physical scout, that actually travels and does that because uh you know with technology and computers uh a lot of teams are doing their scouting on the computer so they're starting to cut scouts they're starting to uh you know just do their do all of their scouting reports off the computer and, and sending that information down so they can so they can save more money so uh you know that's another discussion or another subject we can get into but uh it's definitely part of the game that is kind of getting weaned away uh, from the fiscal scout going and watching the games to a computer spitting out numbers and giving you information. In, in my mind, when you were saying it, I'm thinking, okay, watching the player online and being able to see different camera angles. So what's the difference of being in the stadium when you can actually watch a player, but when they're physically not even watching the players anymore, when they're literally reading out their stats game to game to game, it's almost irrelevant what the player looks like as long as the stats make sense, right? That's where for a lot of teams it's headed. A lot of teams it's headed like that. You still have your old school teams who, you know, value the scouting aspect uh, of the game. Uh, you know, you have your new school teams and you have a lot of the Ivy League guys who are in the front offices and uh, they go work on algorithms and they work on the information that, uh, that they get off the computer to send down to the players and the coaches to, to, you know, to give them the scouting report on, on the team, but before you play them. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's just a, a dynamic that you have to adapt to. It's a dynamic that is changing within the game. Um, but uh, I always said that there, there needs to be a balance because at the end of the day, an algorithm cannot tell me uh, the human aspect of three things that a player has. The algorithm, until, until somebody in the front office can build an algorithm to tell me what type of baseball IQ a player has or a pitcher has, I call it a ticker. What kind of ticker or a heartbeat that a player has when there's 50,000 people screaming uh, with the winning run on third base and less than two outs. Uh, and the third one, is what kind of stones the guy has between his legs and what kind of pressure that that guy can handle. Not everybody is built the same and everybody handles that a little bit differently. So, uh, you know, you need to know the human aspect of that player and what he's capable of handling and what he's capable of not handling, uh, what, what he's capable of retaining as far as information goes and what he's not able to retain. Some guys are simpler than others. Um, so when, when you have that relationship and you have that, um, 
understanding of the player. Yeah, my son's coming in with his gun and wants to shoot. Excuse me, son. <laughs> this is I this want, is live, folks. I need to have a few. Yeah, this is this is him. This is it. So, this this is why he's the only coaching. Hey, yeah, buddy. So he's getting ready for his baseball game, and uh, you know uh, we're about to head out here shortly. So I'll see you in a little bit. Okay. All right. So when when he makes the bigs, I look forward to being the first interview. <laughs> Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, yes. he's having fun right now. He's learning the game. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a real stickler on, on the fundamentals yes. of the game and understanding that. And I think that's another thing that uh, has gone by the wayside a little bit. I Absolutely. mean, with baseball, uh, everybody's talking about, you know, the home runs and just hitting the ball out of the park. Uh, they're not talking about the strikeouts. Um, uh you know, that's inflated in the game now. Uh, it's helping the pitchers, but, you know, there's so much technology with the, the swing and you got the launch angle and the exit velocity and all of that. And that's taken into account of how people are getting paid in these days. So uh, again, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you have to adapt. I think, I think the human element, and I also think analytics is great, but there needs to be a balance between the two. Uh, and, and you need the experience of players who've played the game before to be in the coaching ranks so the players can understand and be like, hey, you know what? This guy's been there. He's done that. He's been standing on the mound where I'm standing, and I value what he's saying. We'll be debating this again over the coming weeks and months. There's so much ball. There's so much ball talk and life talk that it can all embed. I'm, I'm going to start summing up uh, chapter one here because it's funny. Chapter two will slide. So I'll give a sneak peek. Yes, because we, we've not touched fully upon where we were going with the Brewer decision. So we're going to be going into chapter two to talk about how that actually went down. Just to summarize, though, Steve, you were saying around September, October of 2021 was when you made the decision in your mind or you're starting to make the decision or October, November of 2021 that you were going to start thinking about stepping away from coaching itself. So October, October, November of 2021, conversations were being had within the family, conversations yes. were moving it, but I still wasn't, I wasn't convicted and I wasn't truly uh, convinced that stepping away was the right choice at that time. Yes. Um, it was more end of December, like December, December 18th, 19th, right before Christmas. Okay. Uh, I was going with my son to a, a baseball tournament in Florida right after Christmas. Yes, um, yes. And I was taking him to school and we were discussing, you know, the baseball tournament and what we were going to do right after Christmas in, in Florida uh, and how we were going to spend time together and do the different things that we were going to do. And I was taking him to school one morning and he's sitting in the back of the car and I'm driving. And without hesitation he with this within this conversation that we're having he goes dad after december he goes you're not going to be able to come with me or do much with me because you got to start spring training up again don't you and i was like well with the lockouts going on and I explained the lockout to him and i said you know spring training will be spring training and he goes i'm gonna really miss you this summer and at that point Things just pulled on me and I didn't say anything to him. I dropped him off at school and I came home and I had a conversation uh, at home with PJ, uh, my wife. And I'm like, Kingston's really missing me. Like, I have a feeling that he understands now at the age of 11 
what it means to have me at home and what it means to have me away. And, uh, you know, we, we discussed it as a family over the next three or four days. And I finally came to the decision that I was going to call David Stearns, our general manager, and, and let him know that uh, priority number one was my family. And that, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, I was going to have to, to step down as the bullpen coach and, and, and revisit baseball uh, a little bit later in life. Not, not retiring, not closing the door on baseball, but stepping away, taking a breather and, uh, you know, being more of a dad. What day was that call to David? Uh, I believe that call was December 19th. And was it a phone call or a video call? No, it was a phone call. I called David and then uh, spoke with him. Uh, and then I made my rounds. You know, I called the manager. I called Craig Council and let him know my decision. I called the assistant GM. And then obviously, you know, after I talked to, uh, you know, uh, the figureheads that run the organization and, and understand uh, that and give them the information, then I was going to call. Uh, the rest of the coaches and the players, uh, you know, and give them the respect uh, that they deserve to, you know, to, to let them know that, uh, you know, I wasn't going to be back. Great place for us to pause today. And uh, always going to leave them teasing wanting more. And uh, in the next uh, chapter, next episode, we're going to talk about those conversations, what they said, how it went, and uh, continue on the chosen journey. Steve Carse, as always, thank you for taking the time for us today. And uh, looking forward to getting the uh, fans' questions in through social media. They can post comments on, uh, on the site, on, on our YouTube channel, and like the episode. And uh, we'll be sharing those with you over time. And uh, we'll see as the journey continues. Absolutely, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. And, and looking forward to uh, the next step of our journey. Good luck today on the, uh, on the tournament. I know, uh, is he pitching, hitting? What's, what's your boy doing? Uh, it's a great question. He'll probably pitch a little bit. Uh, I'm not coaching, so it's really nice. <laughs> I get to step behind the stage nice. or behind the fence and watch. So, uh, he plays, he pitches, he plays third base. Uh, he plays the outfield and, uh, he plays first base. So he, he bounces around wherever he's needed, uh, is, is, is perfect because the utility guy is, is very welcome to major league baseball right now. Let us know how Shohei Carse is doing. And uh, until next time, buddy, keep the journey going. Absolutely. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you.